Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spesh. Hello. What's doing, bud? Oh, not much. Same old, same old. Work, 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 yes, work, work. unfortunately. It, it and then is. when you're done working, you work some more. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. I need a vacation. I need to retire. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it? Yeah. I am buying more lotto like, tickets this year than I did last year. We, well, sorry, not we. My wife buys lottery tickets. Yeah. And a lot of scratchy, I heard my daughter got into the scratch tickets. Oh, yeah. We've got a bunch. The problem is, is we don't cash them in. <laughs> you win 10 bucks, you win a dollar, yeah. you win $3, you win $25. Do they expire? I won 50 bucks on one. Oh. Yeah, you got a year to cash them in. So I decided, oh, you know what? Because I ended up, we, we just throw them, oh, yeah, we'll cash that in, we'll cash that in. And you throw them in this little bucket thing. Yeah. And as you know, oh, we got about 200 bucks here. So you take <laughs> it in, you cash it in, and buy 200 bucks <laughs> worth of more tickets. <laughs> yeah, that's doing us well. Yeah, um, I, I don't spend that much. I, just, I only spend, I think, like 10 bucks every month or so. I went three months and every week I was buying lottery t- so like what is it uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays are the 649 yep. Friday is the the Super 7 and there was something else Lotto Max or Lotto Max whatever it is uh, and then there's a scratch tickets so I was saying okay I'm gonna I spent five dollars on a ticket I won this much I won spent this much I won this much and I kept going down free ticket. Okay, I didn't win anything, but I got a free ticket. So on that $0 ticket that I had to pay $0 for, I won this much sort of stuff. After, it was, it was just just over three months, mm-hmm. like a, like three months in a week or something. I was basically 10 bucks ahead. Oh, yeah? For wow. all that money I put out and all that time <laughs> and effort <laughs> and scratching yeah. and following numbers and making sure, you know, yeah. see if I won. Basically, I ended up with 10 bucks. <laughs> Yay. Yay. <laughs> Yay me. <laughs> Go team. <laughs> uh, and that's why we're still drinking beer and we're not drinking champagne every exactly. week when we... Uh, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Do this show. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But winning the lottery, like, huge, that'd be awesome. The podcast would, uh, well, I don't know if the podcast would end, but I wouldn't be here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we'd be just doing it from different places. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. we just take the gear with because we know we can do that now. Okay. Yeah. You know right? what? Yeah, yeah. I'd be doing some stuff like that. I'd be doing some trips. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But now everybody says, oh, yeah, when... I win the millions. If I won $10 million, I'd give so much to my parents and so much to my brothers and sisters and to my friends. And No one's going to know I won a dime. They're just going to wake up when they go, I haven't heard from Sean in about four months. Has anybody checked in on him? Yeah. Wait a minute. Somebody else is living in this house. They said he moved. They just left all the furniture and moved. I thought it'd be funny. It's like... Is like, you know, at work, they'd be saying, hey, where's Derek? He's late today. It's like, hey, it's been five days since we saw Derek. Somebody should check in on him. Yeah. And I always thought, you know what? I'll let them figure it on their own that I've retired. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm going to rent the uh, limousine because our building's at the end of a cul-de-sac sort of thing. <laughs> Limo with a hot tub <laughs> in the back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to honk the horn when I see everybody looking out the window. I'm going to stand up and just flip them all off. And roar, off the road we go. <laughs> Oh, there's so many creative ways that I could quit. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard stories of people before they've actually confirmed that they've won. It's like, ah, screw you. I'm out of here. You know, they flip the boss, the bird, and they run out the door, screw you all. And then it's like, oh. $100. (laughs) Hundred dollars? <laughs> yeah. No, no. That money would be in my bank account. I'd have the yes. picture of me with that big check. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Guarantee. I want. I want to make sure. Before that I was standing true. on my boss's yeah. desk, mooning him. <laughs> there you go, buddy. Oh, uh, nah. It would be. It would be nice to win that money, but you know, all those people at work would miss me. 
<laughs> and my bubbly personality. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Be grand, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeehaw. Yeah, it pays for the dreams, right? It's uh, like I I, I paid for the Princess Margaret lottery, and uh, so I, I usually do it once a year. It's mm-hmm. for a good cause, and uh, so then you go through and you do walkthroughs of all the homes you could win and. So that draw was last week. I didn't win anything. You actually went to the houses? V- virtually. Oh, vir- I was going to say, they let you go to the house and walk through it? No, before, wow. I, I've been to it before, but right now there's there, everything is virtual. You can't yeah. look, touch. But you can't, you got to pay the taxes and everything on those houses too, I'm right? not sure what the rules are, but I'd figure it out. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd sell it. I'd sell well, yeah, house. absolutely. So I don't know what the rules are with that, but you know, like the uh, the top prize this year was a $6.6 million uh, home in Oakville. It included a million dollars cash, cash, and a uh, I think it was a Jaguar sports car in the really? garage. And it's See, uh, that's just not and me. it was furnished, and the house is furnished as well. Really? Yeah. So, yeah. Holy cow! Yeah. See, they'd like to the jag. That's not me. <laughs> oh, I'd, I'd be that. I'd be taking the whole thing cash. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if, if that's the because I know some of them are right. Yeah. You can take like. Your your seven million dollar house plus the million cash plus the car, yeah. or you can take four million dollars cash. Yeah. yeah, all right, four million it is. The government gets <laughs> half. I'm still two million ahead of where yeah, I was. Exactly. I'm oh, good. No, it's well lottos and stuff. I don't know. What, I think it depends on which lottery, whether it's tax free. Yeah, or but I think that's general rule in Canada. Is everything is tax free for these lottos and stuff? Like Nothing tax- is tax free. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you silly man. I know that, that <laughs> at Lottery Corporation, at OLG, it's, uh, if you win $50 million, you get $50 million. Yeah. It's not like in the States where they... Oh, yeah. He just won $500 million on one of those big ball lotteries or whatever they But are. if you want it all now, it's $180 million. <laughs> Yeah, and then you tax on top of that yeah, sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow, here's your 20 bucks. <laughs> Take it well, cost me five. <laughs> wait a sec. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice. But no, you know what? Like... We win if I won that kind of money. Yeah, I would just throw it in the bank and live off the interest and live yeah. off the interest. Exactly. I mean, I don't need a bigger house. No, right. No. I mean, once your kids are gone, you're going to probably downsize. Downsize any. anyways. Yeah. So maybe do some traveling. Means, and, yeah, all yeah. that money to be going to bills, traveling, and enjoying. Yeah. The last 40, 50, 90 years of my life. <laughs> Who knows? Things happen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna live just to piss people off. <laughs> He's hundred and seventy. My God, I wish you would just die. <laughs> that's my that's yeah. my life plan. <laughs> I think originally my, my life goal when I was a kid was to live to be two hundred and forty one. Nice number. I have no idea. I also wanted to be a bagpipe playing pig farmer, and you see where that goal went. <laughs> I have no idea where all that came from, but hey, that was my a life. A bagpipe goal. playing pig farmer. That's I a very to, attainable goal. I wanted to be a pig farmer and learn to play the bagpipes, and I would play the bagpipes for my pigs. <laughs> that was my goal as a little kid, and I have no idea where that came from. Couldn't be a fireman or a cop or an astronaut. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a few of those things are pretty hard to attain, depending on on your abilities and whatever. But anybody can be a pig farmer. I just remember my dad and his buddy having a conversation about, well, you know, what? it's not bad because pork bellies are actually it's yeah, you make good a lot of prices. Money. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm like, well, what do I care about money? I'm like. Eight. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to play music for my I don't want to have a music, music bagpipe and pig farm. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Uh, maybe that'll be my goal one day. He won $20 million and he owns a pig farm now. Guess what he loves on weekends? Learns the bagpipes. Who was the serial killer out in Vancouver who, uh, he had a pig farm. Mm. He killed prostitutes and he fed them to the pigs. Yeah. I can never remember their names. Yeah. But yeah, huh? so it's I, oh I, I, maybe I, he wanted it. Maybe maybe he just got mad because he couldn't play the bagpipes. Maybe, mm, but ever since road. I heard about that guy, I've always thought, huh, I should be suspicious of pig farmers now. Ooh, <laughs> maybe that's why I didn't become one. Because <laughs> you're not a serial killer. Killing just wasn't for me. <laughs> just wasn't my cup of tea. I'll stick with the paddling. Uh, other than that, yeah, it's just been a regular old week. Mm-hmm. 
nothing too exciting going on. I tried something new and different tonight. Put your pants on <laughs> backwards. No, I left uh, leg first, then right first. I, I was contemplating the drive here, and I hate driving here on the four hundred one. And I don't know that why it's never occurred to me to do it before. But tonight, I thought oh, I should take the four hundred seven and what pay a, money. What a yeah. So I don't know how much it's going to cost. It cost me, but uh, I'll find that out when the bill comes in. But uh, it's not that far. It was only twenty kilometers on the four hundred seven. Mm-hmm. But it was such a relaxing, quiet drive. I passed one transport truck, and I saw taillights way ahead of me, and mm-hmm. I saw headlights way behind me, but I didn't see cars otherwise. See, and that's why I tell my wife and daughter, if you've got to go from our side of Toronto to the other side of Toronto, take the 407. Mm-hmm. So much more relaxed. It's it's stress-free. We, we've got the uh, transponders too, right? Yeah. So all that does is basically what you would usually pay in the admin fees yeah. for the 10 times you take it a year, mm-hmm. basically that pays for your transponder. Yeah. Right? So. And if you have a really long canoe that overhangs the back of the vehicle, it's a free ride. The cameras can't catch the And plate. see, I, when the, when the 407 first came into being, when I would head north on my canoe trips. Oh, the tailgate's down. <laughs> I used to have my tailgate down on my Ranger. Yeah. Wind. Yeah. Right, guys, that was yeah. the whole before Mythbusters were yeah. saying hooey and all that. Yeah, take that out because that tailgate causes drag. So drive yeah. with it down, and that's when I found out because I'm like, I'm never getting billed for the 407. <laughs> I've taken it 30 times. I've never been billed because they take a picture of your rear yeah. license plate, yeah. and then all of a sudden you started seeing the big signs on the side of the 407 saying your it plate is must illegal. be visible. Yeah, to yeah. ride with your tailgate down, you will be ticketed. Mm-hmm. I wonder why. So I rode with it up. <laughs> then I started getting charged. Hey! Oh, the little light bulb went on. <laughs> I just hop on the 407. Oh, they'll take a picture of my front plate. No, they take a picture of your back plate. Yeah, anybody at the 407 is listening right now, they're going, what are their names? <laughs> ah, wait a minute. <laughs> Dirty, no good little Well, guy. I have a transporter now, so I'm all in the up and up. Yeah, yeah. No, you know what? I like it because I, it's... It's safer than the 407 or 400, a uh, 401. Yeah. Uh, less at rush aggravating. hour and stuff. And, yeah. Less aggravating. Yeah. And if he, I mean, Tracy works west north yeah. of here, right northwest of here. And uh, some days, when, especially in winter, when everything's just at a crawl. Oh. Just hop on the 407, yeah. zip straight across. And and her, her hospital's just north of the 407. There you go. Hop, skip, and a jump. So it makes it so much mm-hmm. faster. It gets to work faster and on yeah. time and that sort of thing. So, so yeah, it was a pleasant ride here tonight. It was, uh, normally I get here, I'm all agitated because you get the, uh, you always have the extremes, the fast drivers, the slow drivers, and then the crazy drivers, right? It's, uh, and tonight it was, I was alone. I was So alone. you couldn't be fast or crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you didn't have to bring beer this week. No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know I was supposed to. You weren't? Or, yeah, I no, apparently not, yeah. yeah. So we're drinking some nice Kilkenny for a change. Mm-hmm. Something a bit different, not too weird. Yeah. yeah awesome. It's very nice. <sighs> what a great day. <laughs> what a great day. <laughs> On with the show, this is it. Uh, let's talk Killarney Provincial Park. Yes. Reservation. Some big changes there. Yeah, this is going to be, I think this is going to be the wave of the future. I think so. There, There's we've pros and seen, cons. We've seen indications over the last couple of years that, that Ontario Parks has been, and there's been a lot of chatter over the years, and so they've, they're looking at revamping the system. They're trying to improve the park's experience, and especially with it being busy and overpopulated recently, mm-hmm. that uh, they're looking at doing different things. Like I stayed at Tomogamy this year, and it was 47.50 a night. Whether I'm alone or rather my party of nine, which is the max I yep. believe per campsite. It's forty-seven fifty a night, and so that's that's tomogamy, and I think a couple other French River maybe. Uh, no, Massasauga, Massasauga. Massasauga. Yeah. So and and so that might be the wave of the future. It's uh, I don't know. It's it's a it's a higher expense. It's, I think the people that are 
that are going to really going to feel the pain on that one or like people who like to solo or just it's a couple or whatever. Yeah. It works out for me and my family because there's four of us and we would have been paying that anyways. So it didn't You know what? Yeah. I mean, I don't, if it's a regular fee, I don't, if I'm staying in that area, I'll just pay for all the nights. But there's some parts where you don't have to pay. Depending on where you were in Tomogamy. So- so this year when we went up, yeah. I specifically noted, okay, you know what? We don't need to pay when we're here. We don't need to pay when we're yeah. here. We don't need to. So I'm not paying. Generally, I would pay for those nights anyway. Yeah. Just to, okay, you know what? Mm-hmm. We're, we're gone for 10 days, whatever. Pay for 10 days. But uh, yeah, no, yeah. you're charging me 50 bucks a night. You're not getting my extra pennies. And the, uh, when you do book areas that are outside the park, you just book it out of park. Mm-hmm. So day one, two, out of park. Day three, four, five, in park. Day six, out of park. Yeah. Whatever, right? Yeah. So and it all, you just pick your route and make sure you're, because it, it can get confusing depending on what area borders what area, right? Yeah. So... Well, for 2022, all paddling backcountry campsites are moving to site-specific reservations and that's in Killarney. In Killarney, yes. Means all paddling backcountry campsites have, uh, are receiving a new campsite number. Uh, site number change chart has been developed and can be found at ontarioparks.com backslash park backslash Killarney. So that's already up there. They've already put a little. It's already up on there. It, right? I don't think they've numbered the sites yet. That's on the, on the maps and everything, yeah. that's not all been changed. No, because I went into the reservation system to make a reservation. I tried to do it too, and yeah. it just it just brings you to has, yeah. the lake still. So not, it's not showing individual. I assume they open around May two four or something. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and um, new park uh, map will also be available in spring of twenty twenty two with the updated campsite yeah. numbering. Right. So, of course, this is, you know, everybody's sitting on the fence. People, oh, I hate this and da, da, da. And other people, it's, oh, this is fantastic. Yeah. And, uh, you get people, the full spectrum of people either happy with it or not so happy with it. But I can it, see it, both sides. I, I do too. It's, it's, uh, I've had experiences in, in Algonquin Park where you hit a portage with somebody else. It's like, are they staying on this lake? Mm-hmm. Paddle hard, paddle hard. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you're racing to get to a site and usually try and get off a site at, at like eight in the morning so that you can be in and off the water by two because you're hoping to catch a site as people are leaving if they're leaving late. And so it's like, you know, okay, well, I want to get in early. I want to be able to, you know, peruse some of the sites that are available. And so this will save you that race that, you know, whatever, you you don't know what you're getting. But on the other hand, it's... it's uh, to have the confidence that, okay, so I have site 11 booked and it's on such and such a lake. And so, you know, I, I know my campsite I'm going to, and this will be good for people who are familiar with campsites. It's like, okay, I need to get 11. Mm-hmm. It's a big site. It, it'll fit two tents. I'm going to be there for some friends. And so it's going to work out, right? Or, but then there's people who go, oh, I've never been to Clarny before. Let's book it. Oh, I guess I'll book number six. And then six is, you know, there's a tree down and the thunder box is full. And it's just, yeah, basically it's just a solo site. You're lucky if you can fit one tent on it. So I think that's part of the process. Mm -hmm. As you were describing earlier when we were prepping for this is uh, they're going to have to have just like, uh, you know, if you're booking at Sandbanks or any other place, it's like there's going to have to be some photos. There's going to have to be a description. Is it sloped? Is it? tree covered or is it open is it on a point is it, you know they're gonna have to do something to let people know yeah, what they're it, getting it all depends on how much information they put on the reservation system yeah when you go to book yeah you know like i mean if you go to say for mew lake um to go car camping yeah when you go to the reservation system you click on that that uh, site you want to check out. There's sometimes, you know, they've been getting into the habit of the last few years of putting photos. So mm-hmm. you can see, oh yeah, this will fit, definitely fit my, my trailer yeah. or, or whatever. Oh yeah, there's lots of trees around it for some shade. And yeah. some, that's okay, I'm going to book that one. Yeah, they describe shade, slope. Yeah, uh, they're going to have to do that f- yeah. if they're, if they're going to do this in the backcountry. Exactly. Because I've been to lakes where it's like, oh yeah, I want to get the northern shore and you know, so that way I can get a nice sunset every night and everything like that. And I don't have that early morning sun blaring in through my, my front of my tan. So you go to the North Shore 
and there's one site there and you gra- you get there and it's absolute garbage. Yeah. Or like you say, you got two or three canoes of people with three tents and it's going to fit one tent. <laughs> exactly. Well, then you've got to go to the next site or the next site or yeah. the next site. With the numbering system, you if get- they don't put extra information, you're trying to fit three tents on a one tent site. Yeah. Right. And again, we don't know what they're going to, they haven't said what they're going to put on those, the reservations. They just said right now there's going to be numbers. Right. Yeah. And I also saw, so another concern people had, and quite a few people were, were speaking up about this is, uh, and I saw Ontario Parks respond to it, which was good that they're, they're, they're posting these things and in the forums, Ontario Parks is responding to people's questions. So I thought, oh, this is awesome. But one of the major concerns people had is, uh, what if I get windbound? What if I get waylaid because of really bad weather? What if, what if you know, I, I'm you know I'm with my kids and, and it's it's a big lake. It's too choppy. I don't want to risk my kids' life. I, I'm I, I'm right. windbound. I right. can't move. It's a safety thing. And so there's a big concern. It's like, oh, now I have to move because somebody's expecting this campsite tonight. Mm-hmm. And so they did say that they're keeping some sites in reserve, unbookable. And those sites will be if you get windbound or lake. But it's like, well, hang on a sec. If it's a big lake and I'm on the south end and I'm windbound and the spare site's on the north end. And how are you going to know which sites are the spare sites? I know. That's another issue. And if there's spare sites, that means people are going to take advantage of that and just stay on the spare sites. Mm -hmm. And so I I think what you're going to see... And I don't think I'll have a, a worry of it, concern. It depends, really depends on who the people are that are showing up. But it's like, hey, Sarah, I get windbound. Hope you don't mind, uh, you know, sharing, sharing a site, site tonight. Or yeah, it, you know what? Like if I've got a big enough site and there's somebody zipping by and the waves and the weather. And, and they're in trouble. And they're in trouble. Yeah. You know what? Pitch a tent on yeah. the site, whatever. Yeah, you know? come on in. Help cut some extra wood for the mm-hmm. fire and, yeah. you know, all, all's good. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, the, the big, the weather thing is, is my big, big issue is, and we've all, you know, long time trippers, everybody's had that at one point or another is, you know what, we're going to try to make this lake, but well, I mean, Trace and I, this summer in Tomogamy, we hit diamond and the sky just opened up thunder, lightning and hail. Oh yeah. Yeah. We weren't supposed to be at that end of diamond. Mm -hmm. We were making for the far end. Yeah. And we couldn't get there because I'm, we're not going out on the lake, a big lake like that with thunder and lightning. Yeah. What if somebody had booked that site? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so it happens. And as I was telling this morning, there was a, when when the group of us did the Venus link, we, uh, we came up through and hit rain Lake and, uh, it it was, uh, it was cold. It was rainy and I was borderline hypothermic. And so we ended up stopping, but we stayed the night on the portage. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was like, so we, we used the, the, uh, so we were right next to the Western Uplands or whatever, yeah, yeah. whatever trail Hiking it is. Trail, yeah. Yeah. So we, we were near a campsite there. So we used the Thunderbox, but we slept on a very wide part of the portage. Yeah. There's varying widths of portages there. And so the landing as it hits Rain Lake is like super big. And so you could, there was room to pitch a couple tents, right? Yeah. So we put up a big tarp and pitched a tent and made dinner and, and stuff like that. So it was, when it comes to stuff like that, it was fortunate that the portage was big because as you told me today, I didn't even know, but uh, canoers can't stay at hiking campsites. Yeah. And so I noticed today that, yeah, they're marked differently. They're, yeah, the hiking I, sites, the backcountry yeah. uh, hike, backpacking trail sites are, are different. They're only for backpackers. Yeah. 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 You're not supposed to. There's, there's been um, uh, nasty things said on uh, forums and Facebook oh, pages yeah? about that sort of thing. Yeah. Hmm. You know, yeah, people are in their canoes and they came up to the backpacking site and took it. Yeah. You know, it's easier for somebody in a canoe to paddle An half extra, a kilometer down. Yeah. You know, where somebody on a backpack trail. There might be three hours to the next t- site. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, that trail may have come out of the bush, hit that lake in that one spot for that yeah. one camp, and then back into the bush. Yeah. You know, up up hills, down four lakes before they mm-hmm. find another exactly. another site. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, the, the, the backpacking trails yeah. are, for, are for backpackers and should be kept that way. And, and for numbering of sites... For site-specific reservations, that's going to happen in the hiking trails in Algonquin Park. Yeah. So next year, 
so the uplands backpacking trail the highlands trail or whatever the trails are called they're all going to be numbered specific bookable sites and yep. and i think that'll be a comfort to hikers because it's like okay you know there's a it's three hours to the next site and then three hours to the one after that. So if the next one's full, then it's going to be six hours to my next campsite. Whereas if you're booking site specific, it's like, okay, this is the one I am confident I'm going to be able to stay at that yeah. one because I've reserved it. So and that, you, you know, okay, you know what? With my level of, of backpacking skills, mm-hmm. I know I can make it to that one. Yeah. But there's no way I'm making it to the next one. So if Not I, before dark. If or, I can't, yeah. Yeah, if I yeah. can't reserve this site, mm-hmm. then I'm changing my reservations to something else. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Uh, but as for Killarney, uh, the advantage is like, like we say, you know, it's, you know, you have your site booked when you get to the lake. Yep. So you can take your time if, you, if you're doing a, a route, not yeah. just finding one spot and staying there for a week sort of thing. You can take your time. You can get up, you can enjoy your paddle to yeah. where you're supposed to be that night. Fish along the way. Right. Fish yeah. along the way. Do some sightseeing. Take that extra time to yeah. do some photos, have a lunch, have a swim. Because you know when you get to that lake, your sights should be... Reserved. It's there. Empty. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, you don't have to rush there or anything like that. And when you get to the lake, when you have your mind... Like I say, uh, there's a certain site I like on, on Bice Lake. Yeah. And so I can make a beeline for it right now. If it's if somebody's there, then I gotta toodle all Circle around. Circle the lake, look for yeah. yeah. It's, it's fine on a small lake, yeah. But when you get to the bigger lakes, mm-hmm. not so much. But now I know. Okay, that's my. I've reserved that specific site. Yeah. I can just make a beeline straight for it, and mm-hmm. I know it's going to be empty when I get there. Yeah, it takes some of the pressure off. So it, there's there's goods and bads. Like there's 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 a bunch of things that'll you know it's like oh this is great i i you know I'm, there's the time pressure i don't have to race people across the lake and mm-hmm. you know stuff like that but then there's also the fact that you never been there before you reserve a campsite and it's like oh well this yeah I there's one I on the south here. side of bice lake that is basically a solo site oh it's on rock <laughs> it's got one tree on it it's mm-hmm. a little outcrop I wouldn't even say it's a point. I would just say basically it's a giant boulder connected by a little piece of land. And if you're going there with three canoes worth of people, you are all sleeping in one tent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I would imagine, now this may be using too much logic, but I would imagine that Parks, Ontario Parks is going to say, okay, listen, we're going to treat this like it's a car campsite. And so when you pick your equipment you can pick one tent two tent three tents Mm -hmm. and so if you pick three tents and the site only accepts one in a car camping site it'll 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 show you green ones that it'll accept the three tents i'm hoping that's what they do yeah i would assume they're going to do that there's going to be bugs in it i mean it's this year's going to be the first year there's going to be hiccups sure so absolutely yeah we'll just see how it plays out and hope for the best yeah awesome uh canoe museum Ah yes, it's it's a moving. So they should be have already broken ground. Oh yeah, and they are now seeking donations to help move the collection. So this, well, this is Thursday, the twenty fifth of November is when this podcast is released. And oh, my computer just died. What happened? Uh, they are having a um, event on the t- evening of. The 25th, and where is it? Moving the Collection, a behind-the-scenes virtual tour with curator Jeremy Ward. It's an online event with the uh, Canoe Symposium. Uh, Canoe Symposium. I've had that on the brain all day today. Uh, with the Canoe Museum. And they're basically going a virtual event showing you what it uh, takes to get everything ready to move their huge 600 boat. Um, collection. But in the meantime, they are doing a, uh, they're seeking donations uh, to help uh, move the 600, more than 600 canoes and kayaks, along with hundreds of paddles and artifacts. They've launched a public fundraising campaign and they've got these different levels here. I think 
you can go in and just donate money any little bit. They've just gone a bit here and said they've highlighted four different levels of contribution. The Great Portage contribution of $5,000 supports the transfer of the largest vessels cared for in the museum's collection, ranging from 25-foot to 53-foot-long um, boats. So if you got five grand to spend and you're looking to donate it to somebody, you can help move a big boat. There's the big lift contribution, 2500 bucks supports the transfer of the museum's large-sized canoes and kayaks from across Canada and around the world, measuring 18 to 25 feet in length. There's the solo carry contribution of $1,000, supports the transfer of the largest cohort of canoes and kayaks represented in the museum's collection, measuring up to 18 feet in length. And the pack and paddle contribution of 100 to 500 bucks supports the transfer of more than 500 paddles and other related equipment like kayak and canoe and kayak making tools, food harvesting equipment, expedition gear used over the centuries, and canoe sailing gear. So if you've got any extra money to donate to the campaign, go to the canoemuseum.ca. There's a little donate button on the top right-hand side of the page. Uh, click that and then... Um, when you get to that page, it takes you to a page that you can donate to the current museum or donate to the mu new museum. Click the new museum button and uh, they've got different things that you can donate and stuff like that. So if you only got 25 bucks, just click a one-time donation of 25 bucks. Because I know I don't have five grand. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got five grand. Yeah, that'll go over well. <laughs> yeah, honey, uh, I got five grand. I'm just going to, you know, donate. So you know. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure they're gonna like if you're uh, if you're gonna do the Great Portage, you're gonna donate five thousand dollars. Uh, I assume there's gonna be a plaque or brick system or yeah, that, that I right? don't know. I just I just got into the they're looking for money. Mm -hmm. I'm looking online now. It doesn't I don't see where they're yeah. But if you're gonna donate, maybe you want recognition for your donation. Maybe they'll let you take one of the boats for a tour. <laughs> maybe they'll let you move it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, load that duck. <laughs> Just load that boat upside down on the top of my truck. <laughs> I go never to be seen again. Uh, so yeah, canoemuseum.ca if you want to uh, donate and uh, help them out. Oh, Alabama, Alabama, Bartram Canoe Trail. You say you've you've heard that before. It sounds familiar. You think John's been on it or Alan's been on it? I don't know. I don't know. It it uh, when I read Bartram Trail, it was uh, it it just seemed uh, very familiar for some reason. I used to know somebody with the last name Bartram. Does that count? Maybe, maybe. So there's a little article uh, by Lawrence Specker for AL dot com. Uh, him and a buddy went on a little overnighter. Uh, the lower reaches of the mobile, 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 mobile. I keep wanting to say mobile, mobile tensaw delta. Um, the Alabama State Lands Division maintains a small network of cabins on its Bartram canoe trails. The upper Bartram Trail, which is north of Stockton, uh, has two land-based campsites, four floating platforms that can rise and fall with seasonal flooding. The lower Bartram Trail, north of the causeway, Across Upper Mobile Bay features four elevated shelters that can easily be reached from local landings such as historic Blakely State Park and the Five River Delta Center. They are open only to visitors traveling via kayaks and canoes. Uh, they say it's not a secret. You can go to alabamacanoetrails.com. You'll find full information, including a map brochure that provides just about all the information you could want, including GPS coordinates, camping rules, suggested itineraries uh, for upper Bartram trips, ranging from single-day excursions up to two-night, three-day expeditions. Yeah, that'd be kind of cool, a two-nighter, three days. Oh, yeah. You'll also find an online reservation system that lets you book shelter of your choice for $25 plus $1.50 fee. You can't book the same shelter for multiple nights, but you're free to book different shelters on sequential nights. Okay, I can. That just gets you moving around, right? Yeah, they don't want people parking their butts for a month or something, right? Yeah. 
Uh, they call it um, a hell of an Airbnb price point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. So for your twenty five bucks, I thought this was so interesting. What you get? You get a screen house tucked away amid one of the state's rich richest ecological treasures, with a dry floor to sleep on, a few islets you can use to hang hammocks, a metal shelf to cook on, fires aren't allowed, camp stoves are okay, and a porch to sit on. You don't get electricity, air conditioning, chairs, Wi-Fi, or a restroom. You can bring your own chairs, and the rules specify that you have to bring a camping toilet of some kind. Okay, that's yeah. cool. Uh, that's different. That's unusual. But it's uh, it's an ecologically sensitive area, mm-hmm. and maybe they just don't want to be digging pit toilets for everybody, right? It's like, hey, you bring it in, bring it out, leave yeah. no trace. Yeah. Um. So this is down in the Delta, and he sa- he's like I said, he went with a buddy that knows his way through there, and he says a few words about navigating the Delta. You don't have to be in it for long before you realize what a wonderful place it would have been to go back in the day if you didn't want to be found. Its rivers fork, emerge, merge and intertwine. Its bays are big enough to seem like rivers. The mouths of creeks and interconnecting channels are hard to spot until you're right on top of them. Even though you're virtually at sea level, River levels rise and fall enough to make smaller ditches questionable at times, and masses of floating vegetation can cause seasonal blockages in slow-moving ones. Mm -hmm. It is a place that would fantastically be fantastically easy to get lost in. Smartphones with GPS help a lot, but you'll still want to have a paper map and a good sense of what you're trying to accomplish, or at least a companion who knows the way. Which he says, I had. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It'll so you basically, yeah, it says you want to, if you're going in there, you basically want to take somebody that knows the way. You're subject to three forces here, current, tide, and wind. If they're all against you, you're going to have a hard time. Being mindful of what's going on can help you manage your effort. And when he talks about the the shelter that they had, basically it sounds just like a, a shack with screen windows. Yeah, so right? you're Nothing. yeah you're in a a, a bug screen porch. Basically, that's what it with sounds. No like. house. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And he says there, you know, there's a little little porch that gives you easy access to um, the 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 boats and everything. Uh, he says it was clean, well kept, and ready to host around half a dozen people. Setting up camp was as simple as lugging our gear up the steps, hanging our hammocks, unrolling sleeping bags, setting up chairs, and firing up a dragonfly stove to boil water for a dehydrated backpacking meal or two. It's pretty easy. Yeah. Right? And you get some really neat areas to paddle. Mm-hmm. There's, there's pictures online of, like, of uh, he may list specifically the mud hole... Mudhole Creek Shelter, and yeah. if you look at this picture here, that's that's a nice shelter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mind staying in that. Yeah. You don't have to worry about a tent. You don't have to worry about gators. Yeah, I was mosquitoes. That, that's one of the things that was in the back of my mind. I was wondering how many gators are in this area. <laughs> wow. Let me let me just continue on here for a moment. Uh, he's talking about like this time of year right now. It says while they're open all year, summer heat and humidity take the Bartram Canoe Trails a little less attractive in the summer months. Yeah. The best time to hit them starts now with mildly warm days and nights cool enough to dampen the skiers enthusiasm. There you go. So you're going to get the mosquitoes all day, but come the evening, it gets cool enough that uh, the mosquitoes just disappear. Aside from basic fun of doing it, attractions include flowers and wildlife. We didn't see any gators. (laughs) who might have been put off by the passage of a cold front. But there are plenty of birds, including waterfowl, that provided a wake-up call with sunrise. According to the Bartram Trail website, the Delta has more than 50 rare and endangered plant and animal species known to inhabit its wetlands and waterways. That's a lot of... Well, I think a lot of it is birds, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You're going to see the snakes and the... And, and the gators and stuff. 
Uh, yeah, you know what? Sitting in that mud hole uh, shack, mud, what is it? Mud hole creek yeah. uh, shelter. Mud hole creek shelter, yeah. Yeah. Like you can just watch the gators go on by all day. <laughs> right? And if you click onto the shelters, it's like they got all kinds of photos. It's these things are well built. These aren't yeah. just shacks. These are these are really they Well they're part of a park system, right? So yeah. they've got to be upkept. But their the build quality is really high. Mm-hmm. Trail system provides opportunities for recreational boaters, specifically canoeists and kayakers, to enjoy the rivers, streams, lakes, sloughs, and bayous of the Delta. For all the words of caution on navigating the Delta, and a beginner should indeed approach it with respect, the Bartram Trail provides a welcoming path. Now, they talk about this place called Busby's Fish Camp, um, which is a lot of them, a lot of people will launch from there because they have a spot you can park your vehicle and and whatnot and uh it's only what an hour to the yancey branch shelter and from bartram landing at the five rivers delta center uh less than an hour to the shelters on justin bay another trip that wouldn't require crossing any rivers so yeah if you're looking for something a wee bit different Mm-hmm. And you're heading Alabama way. You want to do something for a, an overnight or, or a couple of nights? Then uh, the Bartram Canoe Trails. That sounds like uh, something be pretty cool to check out. I say we go. Oh, it's uh, it's definitely going to be on my list of places. Well, you know what? If you're if you're cruising down that way, right, and you know about yeah. it, then uh, maybe it doesn't take much just to, like I say, stop in for an overnight, book an overnight. Yeah. Get there in the morning, paddle out, stay overnight, paddle back the next day. Be awesome. You're close to New Orleans. Uh, you know, you're near, you know, uh, you're right along the Gulf, that Gulf Coast. Well, see, right? we talked about going to uh, New Orleans, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like two years ago now we talked about going yeah. because, yeah. you know, actually this, I think this past fall would have been the time we were going to go. Yeah, we had planned a trip. And uh, we do a trip sort of every two years now, it seems. Yeah. You know, we went, Teresa and I went to Iceland, then we down, down to Nashville and Clarksdale, uh, Mississippi, and got to see Graceland in Memphis, <laughs> all that sort of. So the next one was going to be down to uh, New Orleans, which I think would have been this year. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Life changes. Time yippers, yeah. yippers. <clears throat> Uh, next on the list, Shop for a Cause. You showed me this one, which is kind of a cool thing with Nemo equipment. It is, and I would be interested to see this kind of, as, as you mentioned, maybe it should be taken up by, by uh, you know, paddle sport industry corporations and stuff because it's <clears throat> it's an interesting prospect for a way to make money. And it's the, the basic uh, theme of it is, Buy our product. Instead of getting a 10% discount, we give that discount to a third party and we raise money for them. So mm-hmm. you're you're buying the product. You're not necessarily getting the discount yourself. You're handing that discount off. In this case, it was going to... Uh, big City Mountaineers. Big City Mountaineers. And so, yeah, this is this is a, this is a great idea. When I first saw it, I was excited, and then it's like, well, it's not really paddling related, but uh, but it, it's a re- it's a really good theme. And and if we could get if the paddling industry would partner up with stuff like this, and I think it's a it's a fantastic thing. Like you know, you, you, you MEC or sale, they well here's a five percent discount, but instead of you getting the discount, it's going to be given off to you know, some kind of uh, youth paddling program in, in some, you know, suburban area and whatever. It helps, you know, kids uh, at risk. And mm-hmm. so I think this is a, a type of thing that's a really good idea. But in this case, it's it's Nemo. So you, you go to Nemo, you buy their equipment, at the, the, any new gear between November 26th and 30th. 10% of your purchase will go to Big City Mountaineers. Your purchase helps to fuel adventure for youth from disinvested communities from around the country. The goal is to raise $10,000 to help under-resourced youth experience the magic of the outdoors. 
Big City Mountaineers are, will be helping youth between the ages of 8 and 18 experience the outdoors for over 30 years, help them develop critical life skills through transformative wilderness mentoring experiences. So just go to NemoEquipment.com. You can, you, like a, a lot of the stuff that I already buy, I buy a lot of Nemo. I've got a Nemo bug shelter. I've got a, a Nemo... Uh, 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 so I've got the bug shelter, I've got the air mattress, I'm looking at a new air mattress. So it's, and Nemo has a lot of interesting stuff. Yeah, they've got tents, sleeping bags, they have sleeping everything. pads. Yeah, everything. So yeah, it's, uh, and I don't know if anybody, if there's any outdoor retailers out there listening, maybe, uh, the, maybe that's something that, uh, something that corporate-wide that could be uh, handed up the line and say, hey, this is something that we should do. We could, uh, and you know, help you know, under underprivileged youth and experience outdoors and paddling and mm-hmm. experience because the big stuff. city mountaineers program seems just to be hiking so it makes it Correct. takes the kids out into the back country and yeah teaches them camping skills and camping hiking and whatever it's, it's all uh, transferable compass skills. map yeah. compass yeah. that sort of stuff right exactly um so yeah i mean as far as we go we we try to talk paddling paddle industry so exactly. if we got you know like canoe industry or something like that for yeah. every Every paddle, every canoe you buy, they donate so much towards some company exactly. that will get yeah. Um, yeah. kids out on the water, yeah. right? And learn learn theirs into um, help send kids to summer camp, that yeah. sort of thing. That's brilliant. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a, a neat thing that's happening out there. Another neat thing that's happening out there. Yes. How do you, you find these things? How do you I just this? find things. I'm out looking for goofy stuff, and <laughs> <laughs> there I came across this this um, little meme. It says, "I hope one day, so one day in the future, when my descendants are calling upon the wisdom." Of their ancestors, and my goofy ass shows up. (laughs) (laughs) I just find things, dude. (laughs) So there's a fella named Brian Footen. He's out in uh, Seattle. He's a former fisheries biologist, and... um, He's trying to map the deep fjord estuary that is Puget Sound. Mm-hmm. He's made it his mission to document every tide land of the Sound's nearly 1,300-mile nearshore environment using 120 pounds of instruments as he paddles, uh, namely a GoPro camera equipped with 360-degree view that shoots pictures every 10 seconds and and the result is the most comprehensive collection of images ever captured along its shores. So he's got this kayak that he's got everything set up in. He got up on a pole. He's got the yeah. the camera that yeah. does three sixty. I think Chris Prouse had one of those set up in in their canoe when they were paddling when they were doing some of their movies. If I'm not mistaken, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, on most days of his ten to fifty mile journeys, he collects about six thousand images. Yeah, incredible. A day. Compiling that information. That's yeah. a lot of data. Yeah. A uh, similar number of water. So he also, besides the images, there's also a similar number of water quality samples, as well as a number of wildlife observations, a swooning eagle or a bobbing seal, for instance. Mm-hmm. He's already amassed a trove of data, having kayaked the eastern shore of the Sound from Olympia to Seattle. His goal is to shine a light on the problems facing the sound and the wildlife in it. Through his company, Earthviews, he's crowdfunded the project in hopes it will be helpful to scientists, policymakers, and the public at large who can use it the same way they web serve roads on Google Street View. Yeah. So he's like, when when his stuff is done, you know, on Google Maps, you can drop the little, drop the little, little dude, you can drop yeah. him on the street. Mm-hmm. He's doing the same sort of thing with this. You see the waterways. Yeah. 
And so similar is, uh, so Google does do somewhat similar stuff. And, and I've seen it in, in very far north communities where somebody with the Google Street View camera is walking around with it on a backpack. Oh, yeah, sticking above their head. Sticking above yeah. their head. And so they walk through like none of it or, mm-hmm. or, you know, they're walking through little towns, tuck 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 And so you can see the little Street View of, of a place that normally a car wouldn't be able to go. I think there's... Where there's a hiking trail, somebody did that. It was out in the west coast somewhere's. But anyway, so they're doing a lot of that. They're they're starting to map out these trails, and for this guy was saying that well, Google Street View doesn't really work on the water. You can't really mm-hmm. drop the man on the water. It's it's the software is not that compatible for water views. So he's created his own. He's formatted his own software and in, in uh, called Earth Views, and uh, so he's. He's had to create his own startup to achieve what he wanted for the uh, for the view from the water from a kayak. Yeah. I think it's brilliant. So he worked for two decades as a fisheries biologist for federal, state, and tribal agencies. Uh, in his work counting nests of salmon eggs, he began to wonder if there was a way to help bring researchers and others closer to the streams and rivers without actually having to travel there. And this is what he's come up with. Um, so yeah, he's, he's gotten into all of this. He's enjoying it. He seems to be, and he says, we just want to get out here and preserve these precious ecosystems. And he runs a, a company. It's a company of two. And uh, the CEO, Courtney Gallagher, a retired Navy F 18 pilot. So he says, you know, people have asked him why, why the kayak for, for doing this. And he says satellite images and even a yearly flyover by the State Department of Ecology can only chart so much detail. And a powerboat can't get into the tidelands where he's often just a few inches of water. I mean, the, we always say the canoe and kayak is great over some of the boats, especially for fishing and stuff, because you can't get in there with a boat. Exactly. Yeah. You're not worried about, you know, you're ripping your prop out or, you know, it's, this is, it's easy access to very remote areas and you're going to be able to see, uh, you know, water view images of a, a very remote and hard to get to sites. Mm-hmm. So packed, packed with data, Footin will not just map the entire nearshore environment of Puget Sound, but also take water quality measurements along the way. He's already noticed low oxygen levels in certain pockets of Puget Sound, a sign of environmental degradation. He's also tracking for acidification, an indicator of increased carbon dioxide in the water. And he says this is just digital preservation. Yeah. Now, he also talked about around the dawn of the 20th century. They got the, the guys out there with their big cameras taking pictures of Puget Sound. Yeah. And the differences between back then, I mean, we've all seen this was Toronto in 1904, and now this is Toronto in 2021. Yeah. Same, you know, or, you know, look at this street in in 1942 versus the street now, and you can see a couple of buildings are still there. Yeah. But everything, you know, there's skyscrapers and everything on the other side of the street exactly. sort of deal. And, and he's doing the same thing. So you're looking at all these pictures from the early 1900s to now now and and then he's saying what he's doing now in a hundred years people are going to go oh well look yeah what's look happened at this in, look where it changed yeah water levels and and you know the the die-off of plants and mm-hmm. whatever it, yeah it's going to be neat to see the uh, the and you can see the sort of the same thing now like i know i can look at my house on google street view and i can look at it in like you know 2013 2015 2018 2019 you know what i mean so every couple of years the the google car goes by and takes another view of my house and so i can see the way to the street changed and yeah you know street construction trees up trees down stuff like that new vehicle right? in the driveway exactly yeah trailers yeah. out of my driveway <laughs> <laughs> neighbors got a pool <laughs> <laughs> there's i don't know if i should share this or not but uh <coughs> I, I renovated a bathroom you know, a couple of years ago and and the toilet was out sitting in in, in front of the house and the Google car just happened to go by. <laughs> now, if so, only you were sitting on sorry. it at the time. <laughs> so there's a toilet in my front yard <laughs> on Google Street View. <laughs> Sunflower plant coming out of it. It's awesome. So, yeah, there's a lot of people because we talked um, – a couple of weeks ago about uh, people using canoes for for those, finding those plants down oh, yeah, in the... Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of people using canoes and kayaks for scientific stuff nowadays. Yeah, like you, when you bomb through on a powerboat, you're not going to see a lot of the detail stuff. You fly over an airplane, you're not going to see the detail stuff. This is this is a real key, uh, as he called it, a digital preservation tool mm-hmm. the, to uh, to see the changes over time for, you know, waterways. And, and sometimes you, it's, it's surprising to see. So when I remember we were looking at uh, the Mississippi and, uh, and uh, some of the areas of the Mississippi, and there's... The elbows of the river that have completely moved by hundreds of feet, depending on the mm-hmm. storm that year. And so you have abandoned sections of the Mississippi River. And uh, I recall in 2018 or 2019, they found a uh, an old Mississippi paddle boat that was like 120 feet from shore, buried in sand. And it's like, how did this get here? Well, the river changed, the river moved. So this that kind of low level digital preservation is going to you're going to see some of these changes and so it would be interesting to uh to have them like do a digital preservation of the mississippi river or you know continue to, like the, for this guy here doing the uh doing the you know, olympia do the olympic puget mountains sound that, puget yeah. sound area it, you know if somebody comes back again in like 10 20 years and does another round of of digital imagery then you're going to see specific changes yeah. right Definitely. Cool, though. It is. It is very cool. Uh, what else we got here? Oh, oh, oh. So, a lot of uh, things happening over uh, in Europe right now with uh, migrants. Uh, the French sporting good retailer Decathlon has stopped selling kayaks and other small boats in four of its northern stores close to the Channel Coast to prevent migrants buying them for an attempt to reach Britain. Hmm. This one took me by surprise. I'm like, well, yeah, well, what did I miss here? Yeah, I, I need to Google it more because it, uh, I, I still don't know exactly what's going yeah. on here. The move comes after a surge this month in the number of migrants making the perilous sea journey from France to Britain across some of the world's busiest shipping lanes. We are committed to never putting our customers at risk with the use of our products under any circumstances, the retail chain said in a statement. Life-saving products such as life jackets will remain available in all stores. Hundreds of migrants have taken advantage of benign sea conditions this month to attempt the crossing, often in overloaded inflatable dinghies, but also on occasion canoes and jet skis. British government have expressed renewed frustration by the numbers reaching England's southern shores and demanding demanding France do more to halt the clandestine crossings in poorly equipped boats that are left unfit for navigation at open sea. So they're thinking, well, how many people could actually be going across, right? Yeah. French Coast Guard in the area said it rescued 272 people in one night. (laughs) That's a lot. There's a, I'm looking online here. There's a record of, so that was 272 in one night of people who were rescued. Mm-hmm. There's a the current record of people actually arriving on the shores of Britain is uh, on the 6th of August. There was 235 people arrived in one day. Wow. So, you know what? I, I, I got to say good to uh, Decathlon for stopping to sell them. Yeah. You know, that those are just one extra. And good you know, I mean... They can, they can, oh, you know, they're buying our kayaks and our canoes. We're making money. But, but they're you know, risking I, their lives. Yeah. So good on Decathlon for stopping yeah. the, taking the hit in the sales to uh, uh, protect people's lives. Uh, another little thing going on here. North Myrtle Beach. The city council met to discuss how the city could regulate Cherry Grove Park and boat ramp and they have to they've been asked to provide solutions on regulating how kayaking tour companies use the boat ramp due to congestion so between march and october if you now in toronto there's the glass bottom kayak tours right yeah the duck tours or whatever they yeah. call them yeah how many tours do you think they they would do oh a lot. Oh, that rounds up that number. <laughs> well, I, I don't even know how many. Uh, 100, 200. 
They're they're going to do a lot. They they probably have like half a dozen of these boats, right? Yeah. And they probably do about three tours in the morning, three tours in the afternoon. That's a lot. It adds up. Four to 5,000 people a year. In Toronto? No, this is Oh, in Myrtle Beach. At Myrtle Beach. North Myrtle Beach. That's a lot. That's just one company. Yeah. Yes, exactly, right? Right. Um, he says they take five trips a day during the summer season. He added tours have up to 12 people, including two guides. Five trips a day with 12. That's 60 people a day. Wow. (laughs) So he says he's not opposed to city intervention due to safety hazards caused by the congestion and poorly run kayaking tours. We have others that are coming into our community that are utilizing the resource and overutilizing them and legitimately clogging up the boat ramp. So you got power boats and everything coming through. Yeah. You got people launching boats, bringing boats in. It's chaotic. Kayak. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's becoming quite the issue. It's a safety issue now. One of the biggest problems we have is companies that come in with no experience, no knowledge of DNR rules, and lots of times they don't even have the proper equipment or know how to use the proper equipment. Uh, officials say they don't have a plan to shut down the ramp, but rather look into possibly leasing it to a private kayaking companies or do something else. So he questions how the city will be able to enforce this. I'd love to see more kayak ramps built. We have an incredible nature system here, North Myrtle Beach. So if you are down North Myrtle Beach and you're looking for some good areas to kayak, apparently, uh, North Myrtle Beach, very unique and is available to people. We can showcase what our region has. He says it's 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 not a very large estuary, but it's highly popular. And, you know, they, they want to, on one side, they want people to use it, but they want to make sure it's it's looked after and everything. They got to find that, that balance. Um, he says, he says there's also a problem because, um, like for, for the one company says we off, we unload to the side, clean every single kayak for the people, take them through a complete safety briefing. Once that happens, we move our contact, our, our kayaks down to the ramp one at a time, launch people out one at a time so that we're not clogging things up, which is cool. And it's, you know, everybody's happy that way, right? Yeah. And he says there's companies, without without kayak tours at the ramp, it's likely companies would start renting out kayaks at the ramp, which could be dangerous for those that don't know what they're doing. Guided tours are absolutely a wonderful thing for those down there because it exposes to people to the beauty of the North Myrtle Beach in a safe way by people that are trained and certified and know how to handle situations. Any proposed solutions would be discussed at a council workshop, which has not yet been scheduled. So, you know what, it's, it's pretty cool to see that the, the kayaking companies are all saying, hey, you know what, cool, let's do something here. And they're not all getting all their knickers in a knot and uh, saying, no, 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 we, we, we can do whatever we want down here. Because that's, you know, at that point, that's when everything just gets shut down, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, but apparently if you're down in the North Myrtle Beach area, there's supposed to be some really good kayaking down there. Mm-hmm. According to this. There you go. Uh, what else we got here? You got anything else? I do not. Then let's send this show on a good note. <laughs> Happy note. Uh, I've seen this a few times this week. A, a gentleman in Little Lake near Northwest River in Labrador is uh, being hailed a wildlife hero after rescuing a snowy owl from the cold waters. Billy Goche, uh, you think that's Goche or Guthrie? Goche. I can't even. Oh, Gauthier. 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 I gotta say it's Goche. Goche? Yeah. Billy. He's the goat. Was taking a paddle down the lake and expected a peaceful jaunt on the water when out of nowhere an owl came swooping down from a nearby ridge passing right over him. He noticed a mob of ravens chasing the owls, dive-bobbing the bird repeatedly. Apparently crows and ravens and owls are mortal enemies. 
They yeah. Do, crows and ravens do yeah. not like owls and vice versa. I learned something today. Mm-hmm. Uh, they watch as the attack unfold before their eyes. Uh, eventually, the group of ravens push the owl so close to the water that she fell in. The owl, now bobbing in the frigid water, didn't appear to be fending off her attackers. Uh, it was so beautiful looking at I was thinking this poor animal is not even struggling. She's going to drown. So he drifted closer, gently trying to lift the owl up out of the water with his paddle and guided her towards the bow of the kayak. She grabbed onto the boats and hauled herself out of the lake onto the kayak. Completely waterlogged, her wings were just totally saturated. She just sat there in the front of me for about 15 minutes. If you ever see, like I say, this has been in so many spots on the internet right now. I've seen now. it in a few places. I've seen it on Instagram and Twitter. That's and a big bird. Yeah, it That's is. a beautiful looking yeah. white snowy yeah. owl. Uh, could you imagine like like just having that captive right there to right there take and photos yeah. And, yeah. and everything, right? Uh, she just sat there in front of me for about 15 minutes. We just kept making eye contact. I'll never forget those incredible yellow eyes staring right at me. It was unbelievable. It says, uh, his eye on the owl sharp talons. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Moving slowly so he wouldn't, spook, he wouldn't spook the animal. His partner snapped some photos while the bird dried off, and the two moved closer to shore to give the bird more time to recover. They posted photos on social media to great fanfare over the weekend. And um, he says, I love wildlife and I always have, but this experience is extra, extra special to me. I didn't think, I, I think she did realize that we were there to help rescue her, not harm her. So eventually the bird did hop to his stump and sat there for about an hour, mm-hmm. I guess, totally warming up and Warm up, drying dry off, off and then gain some energy and then flew off. So hot diggity. <laughs> See, kayakers are, I know. are yeah. great people. Yeah, good people. Good people. Just great people. <laughs> that was a good story. Yeah. We've seen things like that before where uh, seals and otters jumping on the front of kayaks. Yes, I've seen, seen pictures to be a big of that. thing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. To, especially the, I mean, I've seen the, the seals jumping on there to escape killer whales and stuff. Yeah. And, and um, But sometimes they just kind of pop out and say hi. Yeah. Jump up there, get a little bit of suntan yeah. going on and <laughs> relaxing. And yeah, there's a floating rock here with a person on it. Yeah. But then you see the, as well, you've seen... Snakes come up on the front. And oh, yeah. That's when, hey, buddy, <laughs> kayak's all yours. I'll just swim on I'm leaving. I'll just swim to shore. <laughs> uh, oh, what were we talking about snakes? Oh, the some s- sort of flowering snake plant. Oh, yeah, the, the, the snake. There's a snake plant. Mm-hmm. And apparently it actually flowers. My mom used to have them. I think we got one upstairs. Never yeah. knew it had flowers on it. And I was saying that maybe it would shed flying snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, buddy. That's all I need to know. <laughs> um, that's all I've got. That's all I, I have. I think. I think. I'm um, going through news now. I've, I found a few interesting things, but nothing about paddling. We'll talk about after we uh, close out. If you haven't <laughs> gone to traversing. Oh. Dot yes. CA. Yeah. And put your photos in for the photo yep. contest. If you haven't gone to Algonquin Outfitters and entered their contest, their contest do it. Mm-hmm. Do it. Do it. <laughs> I haven't done the, the photo contest. I'm going to do the yeah. Algonquin Outfitters one, though. Yeah? Yeah. I'll probably enter both. <laughs> you know, i got to win stuff eventually. Winner. Winner, winner. Winner, Ganyon. <laughs> uh, nothing else? No, I don't. All righty. Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes from iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. Or you can go to the episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com and download or stream all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.